0: Guess what book we're going to be in? <laughs> we're going to be in Jonah, uh, chapter three today. Uh, real quick review. Remember, in Jonah chapter one, we saw uh, Jonah running from God's will. In Jonah chapter two, we saw Jonah being broken to the will of God. And in Jonah chapter three, we are going to see the fulfilling of the word of God and uh, the truth of this and and i and i stole this from my son aaron i will go ahead and put this up the truth is in your life if you choose chapter one god will send chapter two to get you to chapter three that's a great outline for this book matter of fact the only happy version of jonah is if you read this book only as chapter three chapter one chapter two deals a lot with his disobedience and repentance and and then chapter four is gonna be a whole category in and of itself um but for the most part you know Jonah has been disobedient to the will of God but God is going to you know move Jonah in a way through the large fish to fulfill his will God's will in his own life now we're gonna be looking at that today we're gonna talk about God's will in our lives I need to say a few things about fulfilling God's will Um, number one your feelings should never determine your obedience your feelings and your thoughts on a subject should never determine your obedience i mean think about this think about what jonah the whole problem with jonah was jonah was let his personal thoughts what god should do or not do his personal feelings towards the people of nineveh the you know the nation of the assyrians he let those two things keep him From obeying what God had called him to do so when you're looking at the will of God you need to empty yourself of your will Say, God what do you want me to do you know and you need to get your thoughts on the subject you know your your emotions out of the way second thing is you will never feel more fulfilled and joyful than when you have found what God has called you to do and then you relentlessly pursue it to his glory there is no more joy than to be walking in the will of God and to know what God's will is for your life. And so with that, we're going to turn to Jonah chapter 3, and I'm going to invite you to stand together as we're going to be reading the whole chapter this time in reverence to God's word. Jonah chapter 3 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried and he out and he said to them, Yet forty days in Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flocks taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let the men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked ways and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked ways then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring upon them and he did not do it go ahead you may be seated we're going to look at god's will in three different categories here we're going to talk about god's will in jonah's life god's will in nineveh's life and then god's will in your life and in my life let's start with god's will in Jonah's life Jonah was commissioned in verse 1 and 2 it says in the very beginning here this is after the fish has, has vomited of him up on the shore it says now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying arise go to Nineveh the great city proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you and we read those and it seems like a direct quote from chapter 1 because that is the exact same thing God told him at the very beginning Jonah this is my will for you this is what I want you to do so it, it sounds very familiar um, same message, same command, same exact requirements, nothing changed. Jonah, he had stalled, he ran, he jumped, but he couldn't change what God's will was. And nothing suggests at this point, even though we're going to see that Jonah is obedient to the will of God, nothing suggests that Jonah is any more pleased by the command than the first time that he received it. But the difference here. Is Jonah obeyed? So he's told to go to the city, a great city of Nineveh. Well, we know that, and, and we talked about a few weeks ago how wicked this pagan city of Nineveh was. They were the enemies of Israel. Within 15, uh, 50 years, it's actually the Assyrians, which Nineveh is their capital, they're going to sweep down upon the northern tribes. They're going to destroy the northern tribes, they're going to make them slaves, take them into captivity um Nineveh itself is a large city it says it's a three-day walk through it and I guess archaeology has actually demonstrated that it truly is that big of a city you know from one area uh, to the other I mean it is massive it says hundred and twenty thousand people in chapter four and if you if you kind of count how the Bible counts where they usually just count households or the heads of the households similar to the feeding of the five th- five thousand which it was really more like 20 to 25,000 it means this city if they count that same way this city could be a half a million to a million people it is a massive city and a simple message he was given a simple message that God is going to judge you God is going to bring about your destruction now there is some speculation I have to say as to what else Jonah may have said or what else he may have preached um, you know, questions people have. You know, wonder: Did he recount his own personal testimony and tell them how God forgave him when he was disobedient? Did, did he relay that story? Did he tell them about the miraculous fish and the, the miracle that it took to get him to that place to be able to talk to him? You know, what 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 did he proclaim? You know, was it more than just in 40 days judgment is going to come upon you? Well, we don't know for sure, but I'm going to tell you some safe assumptions that we can make about this number one jonah didn't want to be there nor did he want them to repent we know in chapter four that we're gonna look at next week that he is upset with god after they repent and god doesn't bring judgment upon him this is you know this is not a passionate preacher who is wanting those people he's talking to to change and to become obedient he is obedient he gives the message i'm guessing he didn't add anything other then God is going to judge you in 40 days because that is exactly what he wanted to happen. I mean, you can kind of think about Joan as a mopey minister. You know, I mean, he is reluctant, he is out there preaching their message. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure he would add any glimmer of hope, but there is some glimmer of hope. You know, he says he's going to do it in 40 days, God is going to bring judgment. So there's always almost that little buffer period that God is you know, insinuating there's time for you to change. You know, there's time for you to do something different. You didn't just bring judgment upon them. He he could have done that. But it seems that, you know, God wants Nineveh to repent. I mean, Jonah is doing the bare minimum to be obedient. And it's just amazing to see what God ends up doing with it. Just when we are obedient to what God asks us to do. Jonah was now fulfilling God's will for him. You know, he was finally doing what God had called him to do and and told him to do way back in chapter 1. Okay, so that's Jonah. Let's talk about Nineveh for just a second here. Uh, The results of of Jonah preaching to him, it says in verse 5 and 6, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe for him, and covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. I mean, you talk about a revival. I mean, they believed God. They fasted. They, you know, took on sackcloth and ashes. They rent their clothes. I mean, that's not something that we do, but it was a sign of mourning, an external sign of, of, of grieving, pouring over something. I mean, the king, he even comes off of his throne, humbles himself before God and then the king he isn't just content you know to to make some verbal claims but he he makes a proclamation that people turn away from their wicked ways I think I mean folks this is a preacher's dream come true these kind of results you know to a simple simple message but Jonah he's not passionate he's not powerful he's not pleading his ministry But he is obedient. You know, it's ours to obey. There's a great truth here. It is ours to obey. It is God who brings about true fruit. I'm not talking about false fruit. Because we can fabricate a lot of false fruit. Ours is to obey. God is to bring about the the fruit. The redeeming power of anything that is true and eternal is in the word. The word of God. It is in the truth of God. It's not in the person. It's not in the personality. It's not in the presentation. Matter of fact, I, I'll be totally honest with you. My observation of Christendom is often, you know, personality and great presentation, they're kind of hindrances sometimes. Because people don't deal with the heart and the core issues of the truth and the message. You know, they've been persuaded or they've been brought along. And I'm not knocking, you know, it's not their fault that they're, you know, Someone might be passionate or have a great personality or, you know, have a great presentation. But we need to be careful that those aren't the things that we're responding to. These people responded to a very simple message by, quite honestly, a pathetic messenger. You know, one that didn't have his heart in it. That didn't want to see the same things that God wanted to see. And it just tells us the power wasn't in Jonah. It wasn't in his delivery. The power is in the truth of God. And that's where we need to to rest in our power. Um, We need to not put ourselves in a dangerous position of of exalting ourselves too much into the equation. I mean, if if we exalt ourselves too much into the equation of what God is doing, Satan will discourage you, you know, because we're results-oriented. Something has to happen. Or he will puff you up because you'll think, what a great job I'm doing. You know, look at how important I am to this equation you know and so both of those are tremendously dangerous what matters most is our obedience you know not external results I mean we can I'll be honest here we you know we all want to see our obedience result in external fruit that when I'm obedient to God then I can see you know eternal fruit come from it but folks that's not always the way that it happens Matter of fact, in John chapter uh, 37, verse 38, uh, 37 to 38, John 4, 37 to 38. It says, for in this case, the saying is true that one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. In other words, you're piggybacking off of them. You're riding on their coattails. This time you reap what you don't sow. You know, you're just there to clean up for me. You know, there's other times that you're, you're planting, you're watering, you're doing so much of the work, and you may not see the fruit. It's a truth. God is, God's working. It's not dependent on the results. It's dependent upon our obedience. And Nineveh had obedience. They, they had a pattern of repentance. Um, last week when we talked in Jonah chapter 2, we, we talked about what was necessary in true repentance. And we talked about a brokenness. A crying out to God. Then comes that forgiveness and a, then a thankfulness and a turning around and, and, and doing a new direction. This is the pattern for lost sinners. For anyone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, if you're here today and you're not sure, I'm not talking about that you're religious or not. I'm talking about whether you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Does he live within your heart? Have you claimed him as your Lord and Savior? If you're not sure, the pattern is a brokenness before God. And then a calling out, a crying out to God. Then comes the forgiveness. There's a thankfulness, and our lives are changed. There's a, there's a new direction. That is the pattern for lost sinners, and folks, that's also the pattern for wayward Christians. If you have fallen away from God, if you find yourself wrapped up in a sin, God is calling you to have that brokenness, that crying out to Him, receive His forgiveness. You know, there's that joy, that thankfulness, and and then there's a changing, uh, you know, of our direction. You know, and, and what we do, and that's what that's what Nineveh did. You know, they believed. It says in verse five, the people of Nineveh believed God. They were broken. It says in verse five as well, they went fasting in sackcloth and ashes. In verse eight, it talks about their crying out to God. You know, verse ten talks about the forgiveness that God relented from their disaster. You know, it's just, it's just so amazing. To see God extending his mercy to the Ninevites here. I mean, sometimes we think that forgiveness and, you know, you know the, the price paying for our sin, that that's a New Testament concept. It isn't. It has always been without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It has always been that, that need for forgiveness. Forgiveness is not just limited to the New Testament. Matter of fact, in Joel chapter 2, we'll put this up there for you. In Joel chapter 2, verse 12, through 14 it says yet even now declares the Lord return to me with all your heart with fasting weeping and mourning Rend your heart and not your garments now return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger abounding in loving-kindness and relenting of the evil and who knows whether he will not turn and relent does that, does that sound familiar this is exactly what is happening in Nineveh. This is exactly what is happening at the very, you know, center of the heart of the book of Jonah. The issue is this wasn't written by Jonah. It was written by Joel. In Joel chapter two, it was one of the prophets. It was written to Israel. It was written to to God's people, imploring them to come back to Him, imploring them to, you know, to to rend their hearts. To change their direction, to receive forgiveness. You see, this whole story with Jonah, you know, there's this underlying condemnation of Israel and what they had become their idolatry they had pursued, that God's people were so far away from God. There's this underlying condemnation, and God uses outside sources to do that. The pagans repented, but Israel will not repent. I mean, from the time that they were freed from Egypt, they were a stiff-necked people, including Jonah. They received his written word, and they rebelled. They received the judges and the prophets, they rebelled. They refused to respond to God over and over and over, message after message. And in 50 years, the patience of God was going to expire. And he's going to send them into bondage. God's people, their shame is that the pagans responded better than they did to the message of God. That shame started with the pagan sailors. You know, it says in ver, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, we'll put it up there. In chapter 1, verse 14, the pagan sailors, it says, then they. Called on the Lord and said, "We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put the innocent blood on us. You, O Lord, have done this as you have pleased." Here, the pagans are crying out to God, but God's own people won't cry out to Him. Nineveh, the pagan people, they will cry out to God, you know, but but again, God's people will not. Greater they had a greater response. These pagan soldiers or uh, sailors to seeing God's power in Israel had seen God's power over and over in verse 16 it says then the men feared the Lord the sailors and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows I mean they saw the power of God they saw the fish they saw the storm they saw it stilled and they were changed because of it they repented of their sin so it started with the sailors and the shaming of Israel here, of God's people, it continues through the pagan Ninevites. They heard the simple message of judgment, delivered by this unenthusiastic preacher, and they were cut to the heart. And they repented. And perhaps this is, explains why God chose to include this truth, this event, in his word. Because there is a message to God's people here. I mean, God sent this message to Nineveh. Why did he send them a message? I mean, with Sodom and Gomorrah, he didn't send them a message. He didn't give them a chance to repent. God said, I, I'm going to judge, and he judged. So there's more of a purpose here than just Nineveh repenting. God is sending a message to his people. It's a call to his own people to repent. It's going to be a visual reminder some 50 years later of what would happen if they just turn their hearts. What would happen if you and I would turn our hearts, turn it away from a sin that we are so bound up in, and turn and repent and cry out to God, the forgiveness that he wants to give us. This is a living example, not just to the pagans. This is about Israel. This is about you and I. This is about God's people. It's about Christians here today that he's trying to talk to. He's trying to reach. I mean, think about it. How many sermons have you heard in your lifetime? How many many sermons? How many times have you picked up the Bible and you have read it and God has spoken to you? Over and over and over and over the message has been given. Are we responding to the word of God? How responsive are you when his word is proclaimed? I mean, did we come here today? I mean, like like a... you know, a, a plant out in the middle of the desert wanting to soak up the word of God. God, speak to me. I need to hear from you. I mean, is that our heart that we want to hear from God? Have we, have we become so cold, so calloused to the message that we've heard this over and over and over again, that it's lost its power, that it's lost its truth? So you've got God's will to Jonah. You've got God's will to Nineveh. I want to end in just a few minutes. I want to talk about fulfilling God's will for you in your life. I want to talk about three things. One of these we're going to kind of repeat from week one. Number one, we need to obey God's general will. You want to know what the will of God is? If you remember way back in Jonah when we talked about God's general will, and that is the same for each and every one of us. As you read the Bible, when God reveals something, that is God's will for you. You know? Things like salvation, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. Sanctification, he wants us to be holy because he is holy. That's God's will. I don't have to ask him. You don't got to. Well, we should pray about it as for his power, but I have to pray, God, what do you want me to do concerning holiness? That I've told you, be holy because I am holy. You know, he wants us to be involved in, in good works and servicing that glorify God. He wants us to be a witness to, for him. He wants us to be forgiving as we have been uh, forgiven I mean all these and many many more when God says it in his word that's his will the command in Scripture is God's will for my life for your life but secondly we need to complete what God has prepared for you to do what his will is for you we need to complete it and you need to complete only that will in John chapter 17, verse 14, Christ makes an interesting statement here. Christ is speaking and says, he's, he's praying to his father. He says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished all the work which you have given me to do. Well, isn't that an interesting statement? I mean, here Jesus is saying, I, I'm done, I've, I've accomplished, I've, you know, all the boxes that have been checked, I've done everything that you asked me to do. But think about that. There were still people who were sick. He didn't heal everybody. There were still people who were lost. There were still people who were brokenhearted, who were wrapped up in their sin. I mean, the issue was he did what the Father had given him to do. And he didn't concern himself, you know, so much I've got to do everything. And sometimes, you know, we're just so consumed with doing everything. that you forget that God has called you to do everything something very specific we've been talking in our adult Bible fellowships um, in part about this and about God has given you a spiritual gift or gifts something to serve him with very very specifically you know not all the work that can be done should be done by you but there is work that does need to be done and sadly you know too many times we are only moved by urgent requests you know when there's an urgent need then we respond to it I mean one of the things that we're learning in, in The ABF on spiritual gifts is, you know, if you've been given the gift of teaching, you need to pursue it. Don't wait until someone asks. You need to be pursuing it. You've been given the gifts of service or of hospitality. You know, you you need to be pursuing opportunities, not just, well, I'll wait until somebody asks me, then I'll do it. That's a gift that God has given you. That's his will for your life, to fulfill his ministry and his service that that he has been given you. You know, and, and if you aren't... Serving somewhere, and you have some question, well, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know exactly what to do. You know, we talked a little bit about this morning. It's great to try some different things and find out what it is that God has gifted you to do. Where God is going to, you know, put a blessing for His kingdom upon your life in some area that you are serving. The best, most rewarding, and fulfilling work is when you do all that God calls you to do and nothing more, nothing less. All that God has called you to do. And folks, as as we apply this to to our church family, I mean, God knows what this church needs. And he has placed each of us very uniquely in its place for the purpose that he has for us and for his kingdom. Our problems become when people become selfish or lazy and they don't use their gifts. They don't use their talents for the Lord. You know, when a foot refuses to work, the body has to compensate for it. If you break your leg or something, the whole body compensates for it. And it, it gets along. It does okay. But it certainly doesn't do like if that, bo- that foot was working. And then the hands and all the other things that had to compensate, they kind of are minimized on what they are supposed to be doing. And on and on, the cycle goes. God knows what the church needs. It's ours to find that place. That God is going to bless us and use us for his honor and glory. You know, so what has God called you to do? Think about this. You know, what is it that if, if you had to write a then i am come to the end of my life, Lord, I'm looking at you. I have done what you have called me to do, what you have placed upon me. What would that be? What is it that God wants from you? You know, at this season, at this stage in your life, some of you will say, "Well, I'm retired." No, you're not. God retires you, and you know when you retire, you're retired. God retires you because you'll be dead. You know is that the truth. You know because up to the last, we want to be faithful. You know to the Lord. The Christian consumer, one who is not out there producing, not active, not serving, using his gift—that Christian consumer is one of the worst mentalities that we bring to the church. You know what am I getting out of this? You know, is this meeting my needs versus coming to the church to to meet the needs? What can I do? What does God have me to do today? I was trying to think through this about some examples that I had of this, and God brought to my mind about oh, I'd say about twenty six, twenty seven years ago, I was pastoring in Illinois, and uh, we were we were involved in a a building program for the church. Matter of fact, about the same time that that this uh, church as well was going through our building uh, thing. We were going through the same thing over there in Lena, Illinois. And there was a, a family there. They were in their 40s. Lovely, nice people. Had a couple uh, girls that were in high school. They were part of the church and part of the youth group. And, you know, we went over, had supper with them. You know, every once in a while, I even went over, watched a few ball games with them. Well, suddenly after about a year and we we're in the midst of this building program, they just totally disappear. You're not there anymore. So I call them and reach out to them. Hey, what's going on? And uh, They made some really lame excuse about, well, our kids, they go to school in a different school district. And so they don't have as many friends as, you know, in the youth group. And we kind of want them to be friends. I'm like, what is this? So anyway, I go over there. I drive over. And, and you know, I, I talk very bluntly with them. What's going on in your life? And finally the truth comes out. And he said, well, we're involved in the building program. And I, I see that there's a need for it. I see that what you're doing, I think that's great. They said, but we don't want to be part of paying for it. I, and I asked them. I said, so where are you going? And they told me where you're going. I said, you know, somebody else paid for that. They said, we know that, but we just don't want to be the ones who do it. I, at least, they were honest. But can you can you imagine that kind of mentality in a in a family which is what we are you know ours is to find what god has for us to do and you know whether you know we agree with it you know whether we would do it that way to be obedient in what god has called us to do tremendously important use your abilities to the fullest don't worry about others just use your ability uh, to the, the fullest. So let me, give you, let me give you a conclusion. Let me give you the three things that we talked about here to focus on. Number one, it is ours to obey. It is God's to bring the fruit. I just need to focus on obedience. I might want fruit. I might want some certain thing to happen, but that's not going to be my you know, success or failure. Mine is going to be my obedience to God. Am I doing what God has called me to do? Are we fully obedient? Are we trusting God with the results and and what he is going to do in our lives? Second thing, do you have this pattern of repentance? Do you have the pattern of brokenness and crying out to God, receiving his forgiveness, a thankfulness, a turning, a changing our direction? We saw it in chapter 2, but today, again, we're reminded of it. It says in Psalm 139, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Are we willing to say, God, just try me. Search me, Lord. You know, I don't want to just live with the, the sin in my life. Bring it out, Lord. And number three, are you fulfilling God's will for your life? Are you fulfilling God's will for your life? For some, we probably, you, know, you probably need to learn to say no so you can throw all of your energies into the very best that God has for you. For some, you need to ask forgiveness and you need to get busy. There is no such thing as a Christian consumer. We're all here to be part of the body of Christ. And whether our gift is great or whether it is small, whether it, our input is visible You know, or whether it is behind the scenes, every single one is important. And are we fulfilling the very reason that God gave his life, gave his son to die on the cross for your sins? Are you living that purpose or are you living for yourself today? Let's pray. Father God, I so thank you for the truth of your word. Boy, this one was kind of hard to study through and search my life through, Lord. But I thank you that you love me too much to let me stay outside of your will in any area. And I ask you, Father, as you're speaking to our hearts differently here, each one differently right now, that you would not allow us to let the the cares and concerns of this world choke out what you are trying to tell us today. Father, if there is somebody here today that is in need of being forgiven to become a child of yours not just a religious person but a christian one of christ to become your child that right now lord that you will you will pursue him her, father until they give their heart to you in forgiveness and for those of us who know you as savior thank you for just your your gentle correction your word of encouragement, your word of direction in my life. And Lord, just don't help me to become so familiar with you and your word that I just gloss over when I read it. But help me, Father, to, to you know, be hungry, to be thirsty, to know what you have for my life. Thank you, Father. In thy Son's name we pray.